Welcome once again to our listeners. This is Deep Point, an extra edition from the Emerging Cricket Podcast where we explore topics in more depth than we're able to on the main show. I'm your host, Nick Skinner, and today I'm joined by a man of many talents. He's Associate Correspondent for CrickBuzz, co-founder of TKCricket.com, which is the leading coverage of Dutch top-classer cricket, and he's also the landlord to numerous Dutch cricketers. It's good friend of the podcast, Bertus de Jong. Welcome back to Emerging Cricket, Bertus. Uh, hi, Nick. Always a pleasure to be back on EC. Now, among your various projects, you spend a good deal of time thinking about the uh, formats of various ICC tournaments, and I think most people who follow hashtag format chat will at some point have shared a visual of one of your proposed structures. So, I thought we could start with the basics and talk about the principles of tournament design. So, you know, first things first, there's obviously a lot of different ways to run a tournament. What would you say are the main variables we're dealing with? So, one of the obvious and and sort of contentious ones is the number of teams but there's a lot of other things that feed into making a tournament structure uh, i mean yeah that's that's right and i think i mean what we've seen as as cricket fans or at least international cricket fans um have, have generally been the least imaginative uh, options so yeah i mean number of number of participants in in this case number of teams is is obviously the headline variable but the the format is you know whether you you decide to go with say what we had at the moment, had at the moment which is a bit of ground robin, or whether you go with you know group stages followed by simple knockouts, um, are, are just two of the the most immediate ones that we'll be more familiar with. But there's there's huge variance both within cricket and in in other sports and and competitions around the world. So you you know you can see the the current um, chat about uh, the Champions League you're moving to Swiss systems um, and in Australia you you have some Paige McIntyre systems which is based around a knockout but with you know repechage rounds which allow um, essentially extra bites of the cherry where you, you have to lose more than one game to get eliminated and and which sort of style which, which format of tournament uh, that you go with has an enormous effect on sort of the outcomes, which is, you know, which we measure in terms of how long the tournament is, how many matches there are, but also the number of, sort of mismatches. So the, the average ranking difference between teams uh, in matchups and where in the tournament those sort of matchups occur. Uh, and also sort of the possibility of dead rubbers, which is, you know, games where because of the nature of the tournament, by the time the game is played, it doesn't actually have any effect on who progresses and who doesn't. Or uh, similar to that sort of semi-dead rubbers where you might have a matchup where one team uh, needs a win, uh, but the other team, in fact, is either already out or already through, which is, 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 in my opinion, actually sometimes worse. And, you know, you can you can control essentially the likelihood. You can't, you know, predict exactly how a tournament's going to work out, but you can control the probabilities as to, to how these you know, various eventualities, uh, how likely they are to crop up in the tournament. Um, and that is, that's essentially, it's a mathematical issue rather than necessarily one of sort of principle or, you know, we, we have this idea that, that formats should either be more or less inclusive and then that's a direct trade-off with how competitive they are um, or how long they are. Uh, but that isn't necessarily the case. That's actually basically often more of a function of the format that you choose rather than uh, the actual number of participants. So we've talked about these variables and obviously one of the principles of design is that you can only optimize for a single variable. What, in your view, makes a good tournament? What variables do you think should be optimized for? You know, we've got mismatches, so that's, you know, strong teams playing weak teams. We've got the time period because people often complain about the World Cup being too long. We've got the number of matches. We've got the number of teams. We have the... uh, 
the elephant in the room, I guess, which is profitability for the boards. So what what should be optimized in, in your opinion? Well, I mean, that's a, um, as you say, it is, it is a trade-off to an extent, uh, but it isn't, it isn't necessarily a simple trade-off. And you know, we both cover a lot of emerging cricket, so there's a real bias implicit in, in, in everything that we put out that we, we tend towards the more <laughs> inclusive formats. Yes. Um, but the idea that there's a simplicity there, that the, that the more teams means less competitive, more teams means more dead rubbers, more teams means a longer tournament, is, isn't necessarily accurate. So I think what the most frustrating thing is with World Cups in the past, with ICC tournaments at the top level, um, not necessarily in, in qualifying formats where they're often very innovative, is that the, the ICC tends to go for World Cups with, with simple formats where you actually you don't optimize for, for anything. Um, so, you know, we, we had the 10 team World Cup is a, is a classic example where people were saying, oh, you, you know, they were, they were over long, you know, past World Cups have been over long, they've been uncompetitive games, and there's been, you know, a lot of dead rubbers. So we've gone with this simple 10 team tournament where every match will count. And you know, the idea was that this was to, to maximize sort of interest and, and uh, maximize you know, games that India play and therefore revenue. But it's not even. Even if you accept that you'd have a 10 team World Cup, it's not necessarily the best format for you know p- pursuing the the variables or rather the outcomes that that the ITC is supposed to be prioritizing. That example is that sort of the bigger a a group stage, firstly the longer a tournament. So a 10 team group stage actually has more group matches in it than two 17 groups and has twice as many games as uh, four groups of four. So again, the length of the tournament in this case is actually you've 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 shrunk the tournament and at the same time made it longer in terms of matches. <laughs> uh, and in terms of competitiveness, because you have this you know this forty-five game group stage that just drags on forever, the, the weakest teams don't get eliminated until there's only three games left in the tournament. And finally, what you even the 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 very simplest thing that the ICC could have done is instead of having say the top four teams going straight to semi-finals, that simple cutoff meant that almost certainly you're going to have teams that are already out or already through before the group stage is over. So you, you actually end up with more dead rubbers than you need to. Whereas if they'd gone with, um, which I think was proposed as well, which which is the idea that say the top two teams go straight to the semis and then uh, the next four play off uh, in what are then de facto quarterfinals, you'd have actually kept the group stage of that tournament alive far longer while actually minimizing dead rubbers without even expanding the tournament. Particularly, you're talking about two extra games. So you, you sort of see that, that the ICC relentlessly goes for these sort of suboptimal but um, seemingly simple formats, which don't actually optimize any of the, the, the outcome variables that you're, that you're aiming for. Well, it's interesting you, you say seemingly simple because a lot of, you know, the back end of that tournament was convoluted, you know, mathematical people going along with, oh, well, if this team beats this other team and this other team loses and then... To, to try and figure out scenarios of who was going to possibly qualify. So it's actually, in some ways, it, it, it looks simple, but it's more complicated for a fan to follow You know what your team needs to do. Whereas if you have more in the way of knockouts, it's pretty straightforward. You know, you need to win, that's it. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely. And this is a point I've, I've made a few times, which is that big groups going to sort of simple, either straight to semis or straight to quarters, or, you know, this number of groups go into a super six, it... It's very simple to design and it's very simple to understand the format. But if you want, want to try and work out what a team has to do to progress to the next stage, it's often completely unknowable. 
certainly at the start of the tournament uh, and often quite deep into the tournament because it depends entirely on the outcomes of neutral games. So games that your team isn't necessarily playing in. You, you come at the start of a, of a 10 team or even a seven team or even a five team group and you know the top two teams go through or the top four teams go through. That seems simple. But if you ask the question, how many games do we need to win to make the semifinals? The answer is, well, well you don't know. You'll, you have to wait and see. So that, um, so it seems like it's actually you know simple to design, but actually quite complicated for the fans if they want to know how their team is doing. Whereas you can go with sort of what what looked like if you draw out a flowchart, extremely complicated sort of double elimination, triple elimination systems, Paige McIntyre systems, or the like. But then if you ask the question, what does our team need to do to get to the next stage? Then the answer is often very simple. It's either well we have to win two games and we're through. If we lose two games, then we're out. And the idea that that fans will struggle to understand that sort of system is it's 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 very strange because these tournament formats are used in lots of different sports and they're used within cricket as well I and mean, it's not as if people struggle with the the ipl playoff system which admittedly is one of one of the simpler versions but it's it's not as if fans are incapable of getting their heads around these ideas well you, you're talking to a a rugby league uh, watcher in Australia, so I'm, I'm well aware of uh, you know playoff systems and and uh, repechage, and you know what if if rugby league fans can follow that, I think uh, cricket fans can manage. Um, it, so you you talked about how it's sort of deceptively complicated and and it looks simple, but it's actually not. I'm just thinking the 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 same sort of arguments around having more teams means the tournament will drag out longer and have more mismatches. You know, I think back to the 2007 World Cup, which is very much maligned for exactly that in, in sort of popular memory. But, you know, you look at the group stage, for example, the Netherlands, yes, ha, 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 six sixes off and over from um, from, from Dan van Bungen. I'd yeah. like to come to Dan's defence because it's really rather sad that it's the only thing that's famous. <laughs> Van Bunger is a batsman who bowls a bit of leg spin. And now he's he's famous in the world for getting hit by Hurst uh, gives us six sixes. And nobody you neither. Know, he's got the fastest ever hundred for MCC young cricketers. And the, the, the poor guy is gonna go down in history as the bowler that was bowling that absolute filth at the, at the World <laughs> Cup. Um, <laughs> But yes, but 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 to my point, you know, the, the Netherlands, they were there for six days. The tournament went on for about 50 days. So, saying that, you know, oh, the associates made it drag on for too long. Well, no, the associates got bundled out very quickly and the tournament dragged on for too long with the full members. And, and this is the thing, you know, this is another variable that we could talk about is bundling out the weak teams quickly. That's that's a good tournament design. That That's something that 2007 got right. Yeah, agreed. Unfortunately, there's a... You know, the bundling out the the weak teams quickly, there is often a bit of a trade-off there between the risk of losing like a bankable team. I mean, India is, of course, the classic example. And again, 2007 is, is likewise the classic example of the risk of early elimination for bankable teams, which is something that broadcasters are very wary of. But again, this is something that you can remedy quite easily by being a little bit creative with the format. Instead of rather than having you know four groups of four with, with two teams progressing, uh, and then a very lengthy sort of super group stage after it, that is that is a recipe for disaster because you're talking about three games, um, and even without washouts, you can you can fail to get into the top two theoretically with a two-one record go out on net run rate, and if you'd taken a look at that tournament format beforehand, that would have been one of the first 
problems that you, that you should have identified with it is that there is this risk of, of early elimination. And that is something that then also happened. But had you, say, taken then a slightly more complex approach and you'd gone, okay, so we're going to run these four groups before, it's only 24 group games altogether, so we've got time to play with. And then instead of then having another lengthy group stage afterwards gone with a more complicated knockout system, you could have had, say, the top three teams going with the group winner going, say, straight, you know, skipping around, uh, and then two second versus third playing effectively eliminators. And that would have that would have effectively saved India in that tournament, or at least given them a you know 50-50 chance of um, of getting through, probably better than 50-50, because they'll be they would have been playing, you know, likely a weaker team. But it seems that, that just didn't occur to anyone. And you know, having these simple cutoffs is something that you see time and time again in ICC tournaments. You, I don't think they've outside of qualifying formats, which I guess is something we should talk about at some point. I think they've used simple cutoffs in every single World Cup in, in modern history. So um, and that is a recipe for well, two things. One is that it increases the risk of bankable teams going out early. And and two, it also is a recipe for dead games because you'll get teams that essentially are either already out um, with rounds left left to play or already through with rounds left to play. And you end up in situations um, where you could end, you could have, say, a team at the back end of a tournament. I think this is something that happened in the the 1999 World Cup was um, where Zimbabwe ended up beating South Africa and putting England out, playing against South Africa, who it didn't actually matter to them whether what the result of that game was. And I think that we, you and I have both, you know, watched enough tournaments at associates level to know that one of the most gutting things you can have at a tournament is going out because of the result of the game that you weren't even playing in. Um, mm. I think next to being washed out of the tournament, that's. <laughs> That's arguably, you know, one of the worst ways to go out. And it's something that, that generally you can, you can prevent or that you can minimise through being a little bit creative in tournament design. Um, you could quite easily design, a say, a 16-team format where essentially no teams go out on neutral games, where you have, say, the bottom teams in each group um, playing eliminators against each other. And the advantage of, of doing that, of running, say, short group stages um, for the purpose of sorting teams like one to four or one to five in a group, and then starting on, say, eliminators, so that the bottom teams, say, the bottom team in each group or the bottom two teams in each group, um, go into eliminators, whereas the, you know, the, the higher-ranked teams either get buys or they play winners' playoffs, similar to what you see in the preliminary final of the IPL to make it through to the next round. The advantage of that is not only that you uh, minimise the risk of, of early elimination, but you also end up then, after a short group stage, you start matching teams against teams that are ranked closer to each other. So you you then minimize mismatches, you minimize the risk of sort of elimination on neutral games, you eliminate dead rubbers almost altogether. Um, and yet you don't sort of see these kind of formats uh, considered outside of qualifying stages. Whereas at, at qualifying tournaments, so sort of if you look at the, the recent T20 World Cup qualifier, you do see this sort of innovative tournament design from the ICC. So the, there are people there in Dubai who have these ideas, who have a fair understanding of, of, how, of tournament design. And yet somehow, by the time these options land um, at the board, I mean, even at the, the level of the chief executives committee, I think you have a degree of, of interest and in, in innovation. But by the time it lands at the ICC board, I think it's not even a problem of greed. It's just a problem of, of lack of interest or lack of understanding. They, the, the headline that they go for is they just think, well, we decide the number of teams and then we'll just go for the simplest format for that number of teams. And you're just you're not only 
excluding an enormous number of teams, but you're, you're effectively you're leaving money on the table. Well, yes, I, I remember seeing a, an analysis from Russell Degnan where he talked about the benefit to broadcasters of having eliminators and knockout matches because that generates, you know, that, that generates more excitement. Um, I'm just, yeah, as you say, there are all these good ideas floating around. There are people at the ICC who clearly understand the concept of designing a tournament. So why, why do we always get these, you know, simplistic formats? Why does it always happen? Well, it's a mystery to me. Sadly, I'd love to be, or rather, I'd say I'd love to be a fly on the wall. I imagine, I imagine I would absolutely hate to be a fly on the wall at these these meetings. <laughs> but I think, I think at the moment, it, it just seems to be an unwillingness to spend a serious amount of sort of expend a serious amount of mental energy considering these options. I don't think this is a discussion that's that's really been had at any depth at the high levels of the ICC, and I think. That's a shame because you're seeing now that we are tending, you know, let's not be unduly negative because if we do end up, as a lot of people are reporting, moving back to a 14-team World Cup, then that will be a massive improvement on what we have at the moment. But the idea, the fact that the number 14 is being floated says to me that people haven't given this a lot of thought because 14 is is a very difficult number to do anything good with uh, in terms of formats because you can only really split it two ways. And that's either having one big group of 14, which you can't do because it'll last forever, um, <laughs> or you can split it into two groups of seven, um, as we had with, with the 2011 and 2015 World Cups. And what you'll see then is it's not, in terms of mismatches, dead rubbers, length of the group stage, it's not actually a huge improvement. And that even if you prioritise um, as we don't, of course, because we prefer inclusive formats. But even if you're prioritizing sort of the minimization of dead games, minimization of mismatches, you know, trying to uh, bundle associates out as quickly as possible and um, to maximize sort of teams, uh, bankable teams playing each other as often as possible, then it's a lot easier to achieve that with, with 16 teams than it is with 14, which may seem a little bit counterintuitive, but you know, four groups of four is, is over in in 24 games and then you can start you know eliminating weaker teams and you can start matching stronger teams against each other and you end up with more bankable games towards the back end of the tournament you see with higher jeopardy games towards the back end of the tournament um and you actually have the tournament building to a kind of climax which you know at the start yeah you have all these these associate teams floating around and who knows one of one or two of them might even get a few upsets one or two of them might progress to the later stages of the tournament but broadly what you'll see is a winnowing out of weak teams the tournament building to a climax and you actually you can very simply design a 16 team tournament where top six or top eight um, teams will play each other more than they will in a 14 team tournament and yet this doesn't seem to have been considered it is quite strange Uh, i'm just looking at you know these examples that you've given obviously I think there's a lot of good stuff going on at the qualifier and um, you know pathway level. Even you know, even even if we have to have a ten-team World Cup, the last uh, cricket World Cup qualifier in Zimbabwe had ten teams, and that was a much better format to the actual cricket World Cup, which is kind of ridiculous. I, I'm just thinking, what what are some examples of good formats that you think worked really well, and or even some elements within formats that might not be so good that you you thought were um, were helpful. Well, I do. I, I agree that the, as a ten-team tournament, the, the the World Cup qualifier was better than the World Cup itself. Um, though, of course, it wouldn't be long enough, and that seems a bit 
again, uh, a bit of a um, perverse thing to say because, you know, so often the complaint about the World Cup is that it drags on for too long. Um, but what a lot of people don't know, what they're not aware of, is that the World Cup has to be that long because that is one of the few actual restrictions um, imposed by broadcast rights agreements. There's, there's sort of a rumour floating around that, that broadcasters insist on a minimum of nine games for India, which um, people who have seen these agreements insist is not the case. Uh, but there is a stipulation for a minimum number of matches in a format, or rather in a World Cup, which you can't really get around, which, as I understand it, is, is 45 games. Um, so we can look at, say, yeah, the, the T20 World Cup qualifier, which which uh, I was a big fan of, or the World Cup qualifier, which likewise I was a big fan of, though I'm not as enthusiastic about um, super, super six stages. But you can't actually use formats like that because you don't end up with enough games. And that is one of the few hard limits on the World Cup is that you have a minimum, this minimum of 40 plus games, I think it is 45, which means that if you want to use more creative formats, you actually have to have more teams. So how do we how do we square the circle? Um, so what you what you did see at the T Twenty World Cup qualifier is while you did have two groups of seven, you didn't have this simple cutoff where you know um, you go to you go straight to knockouts and your position uh, in the group doesn't actually matter. It's just a question of whether you're through or not. What you had there was you know you get a, a, a buy from for winning the group, you know second and third play off against each other, and then fourth place you had a chance of. I mean, it was a different question because, of course, you're looking for um, four qualifiers out of it rather than one winner. But you have these these two different cutoffs. So winning the group is better than coming second or third, which is better than coming fourth, which is better than coming fifth or seventh. And the result of that is that you end up getting effectively no, almost no dead games at all, even in quite a large group. Whereas if you compare that to an, another 14-team tournament, which is you know what's apparently on the table now, which is just reverting to the 2015 World Cup format, you're going to again... Yeah, I think actually, I think it, it might be worse um, for expected dead rubbers than even the the big ten team round, the big ten team round robin that we had in 2019. So I think if there's if there's one thing that I one idea that I would like to introduce um, into the conversation that's being had at the ICC, it's this idea of you don't only have to have one cutoff in the group stages. You can make it so that. The top three teams progress, but the winning the group is better than coming second or third by then essentially moving those teams into a winner's bracket or a loser's bracket. And this is something that's practiced. It's commonplace, essentially. You see, I mean, effectively, you see it at, at the IPL where you have a preliminary final and, and an eliminated game and then going into semis in the final. And it's, it's not as if this should be an alien concept. And yet when it comes to World Cups, it barely even seems to be mentioned. So you, you mentioned the broadcast contract and... The fact that they have to have, uh, I think you said, 45 games in the tournament. I've not seen it myself, but that is my understanding that it's, there's a minimum of 45. Yeah. Right. Sources suggest, uh, we could say. <laughs> Sources insist, I believe. Yeah. Um, so, so we've got that. Are, are there any other constraints that, you know, when we're thinking about formats, we need to work within? Because, I, I mean, just looking at tournaments, it seems like there's an obsession with only playing one game per day, which I mean I think is a mistake. But is that in the contract as well? Do you know? That's I don't I don't believe it is, and it is. I mean that is probably the single thing that makes cricket World Cups drag on for so long is that you don't have concurrent games, and you sort of see the logic when you have a very restrictive format and you want to get as much as possible out of every team's games. But you would think that having a more inclusive World Cup that you could absolutely run say that if india are playing south africa 
why wouldn't you have the UAE playing the Netherlands at the same day? This is a game that under a more exclusive format, you, you wouldn't have playing at all. And the marginal cost of putting on an extra game compared to the actual broadcast value of matches is very small indeed. And in a format like 50 over cricket, where you can have blowouts, you can have you know early finishes or you can have washouts, but having a backup match, the, the additional value of that, you'd think would far exceed the cost of actually of simply logistically putting on the extra game. And yet this, again, is something that, that doesn't seem to be considered. But whether or not that's stipulated in broadcast rights agreement, if it is, then you'd think that would be that it would be the broadcasters that have missed a trick because you end up with when you're broadcasting a cricket tournament, there's always the risk that you end up with dead air. Um, nobody wants to necessarily be seeing reruns of past tournaments or, or archive material when you've got, in principle, a World Cup going on. Yet that's something that happens almost every single edition because you've only got one game on, so you don't have a backup. So I, that that strikes me as a very strange policy that the ICC have, but it is one that, that you've seen um, repeatedly. It's obviously not one that they use in pathway events where you see sometimes as many as four games going on at the same time. Um, but for World Cups, that seems to have been another thing, which I think it's strange that it hasn't been reconsidered. But yeah, as to other uh, external constraints that you have, I mean, the, the biggest one, of course, is just the teams that you have to work with. You can't you can't just decide to have better cricket teams. You can't have the same. So this this sort of relative competitiveness of the field that you have, whether you want to have 20 teams competing or 10 teams competing, is something that's that's essentially at the moment, at least in the short term, is is uh, not something that you can control. But again, I'm not sure whether people really look at how competitiveness, the actual situation in cricket, which is not that, though you've sort of got this idea because you've had 10 full members or, or a handful of full members for so long, um, that you have that many competitive teams. And that's, that's never been the case, and it's certainly not the case now. What, what you have at the moment is you have a top four or five teams who are considerably stronger than the rest of the field and an awful lot of, of mid-tier teams. Um, so you'd think... Really, if you want to have the most competitive games, you want to have as many of those mid-tier teams playing against each other. And yet the cutoff we're talking about now is 14. Uh, if you look at the rankings and you look who's currently 15th, it's Scotland. And Scotland should have been at the 2019 World Cup. And this is something that, of course, we tend to return to and harp on about over and over again. Um, but probably the, the single most consequential umpiring mistake that that. Um, in, in recent times has been the one that um, happened at the 2018 World Cup against the West Indies, which got the West Indies into the World Cup and Wilson, um, yeah. sent Scotland out. Yeah. Uh, so sorry to remind all of our, our Scottish listeners of that, um, but it, it is a point and it works both ways. Firstly, that Scotland are currently 15th, but it's absurd to suggest that they wouldn't be competitive against the Netherlands or against Ireland or against Oman, as we've seen time and time again, that you have this cluster of teams between about sort of 17 and 10 who are far closer together i think than any other any other group of teams that you could choose and yet to try and draw the line right in the middle of that it'll make it for a very exciting qualifier but it'll leave a lot of teams on the sidelines who could be playing competitive games against most of the rest of the field um, barring of course the top few teams who aren't likely to be playing competitive games against anyone apart from each other and yet again this which is you know it's not hugely dissimilar to other sports either Cricket has this idea that, oh, there's no, there's no real depth and there's no real competitiveness and we just don't have enough strong teams. But if you, you actually look at past results in other sports, they're pretty, I mean, uh, from memory, maybe seven or eight, eight teams have ever won the FIFA, the Football World Cup, and they've been playing for almost a century. And 
the Cricket World Cup has exist, existed for half as long as they've had, they've had six different teams winning it. So you know, realistically, when you start a FIFA World Cup, it's not as if you have more than three or four teams with a realistic chance of winning it. And yet there seems to be this idea that there's a huge depth, competitive depth in football, and that's why they can have a huge World Cup. And that we're lacking that in cricket. And yet Sri Lanka's won both the T20 World Cup and the, and the 50 over World Cup, and they've only been a full member since 1981. This isn't even actually something that, that you see in football. Um, yet there's this idea that cricket has is, is somehow exceptionally um, uncompetitive when you, you get outside the top, you know, the top eight teams and that it's in that regard exceptional. But really the only exceptional thing about cricket is, is its attitude. This idea that there are only so many good teams and that they're the exact same teams and they've been the exact same teams forever and that's how it's always going to stay and that that's why you know that should be our starting point when we when we think about what the world cup should look like yeah it's it's entirely divorced from reality you know i think just kind of symptomatic of, of cricket's kind of insular and inward looking attitude where they they sort of insist that cricket is different somehow from other sports and therefore what works in other sports wouldn't work in cricket but there's really there's really no reason to believe that's the case I think that's a good point in terms of this idea that cricket is, you know, intrinsically very different to other sports in the way it works. I, I I agree with you. I think cricket is a lot more similar to other sports than you'd think. Um, and, you know, on this idea of competitiveness, not to get too self-indulgent, but I, I remember writing an article about you know, looking at results between full members and associates, uh, I think between the last two World Cups, so from 2015 to 2019. And associates actually beat full members almost exactly the same amount of times as full members beat other higher-ranked full members. So the, the distinction there basically doesn't exist. And and we even within full members, uh, once you get past sort of three points of ranking difference, the chances of the lower-ranked team winning are very, very low indeed, and that's regardless of membership status. So, your your point about competitiveness is um, one. You know, I I, I I definitely agree on that front. I, I'm just thinking the competitive stuff has often struck me as a bit of a fig leaf because uh, you know it's it's basically not true. Um, is the real issue that the associates just don't make money, and that's the kind of uh, hidden variable that is goes into tournament design. I mean, well, you, you might be right there, but this is the trouble, of course, is that you can't actually pass which teams are making the most money when the tournament, and in fact, the broadcast rights, not just for the tournament, but for the entire cycle are sold as a block. So the ICC can sort of put figures on it and say, oh, we think so-and-so much value comes from this team or this tournament or or this competition. But And, and they assume that the broadcasters think the same. But those numbers are essentially arbitrary. There's, you know, there's no question, of course, that that India games are more valuable than, say, games played by say, Namibia. But to actually quantify that is is rather difficult. Partly because the ICC essentially um, just sort of tell the broadcasters this, and they present it in this way. Um, and the, the broadcasters, I think, when these negotiations are happening, there's a kind of tacit assumption that everybody agrees that these games are the most valuable. But whether like how much actual calculation goes into that, it's very difficult to pull it all apart because these broadcast rights agreements are sold as a monolith. Now, whether you, you say, yeah, okay, like, that, you know, small teams playing against each other clearly isn't adding an enormous amount of commercial value. And you can see that because when you have associate bilaterals, broadly speaking, if you manage to sell the TV rights at all, you're, you're, you're not getting an enormous amount of money back for them. But 
within the context of the World Cup, you'd think that would change. And more to the point, you, you shouldn't necessarily be looking at a trade-off of, oh, well, if we have a game between, say, Nepal and PNG, that means that we can't have a game between you know, India and Pakistan. But that isn't an actual trade-off that you're making, because if you have a more inclusive um, tournament, then you can have both of those games. So the trade-off you should be looking at is actually, what is the value of a game, a World Cup game, between say, for example, Nepal and Namibia. And you shouldn't be comparing that to the value of a match between England and South Africa or a match between India and Bangladesh. But you should be comparing that to the cost of staging that game, um, in which case you're almost always going to come out on top. We can have both. That sounds very good to my ears, Bertus. Um, I, I think this is probably a, a good place to wrap up our hashtag format chat. Um, Bertus de Jong, a pleasure as always to talk to you. Hopefully, at some point, we'll be able to go to a tournament and uh, see each other in real life. But until then, I'm going to be following you on tkcricket.com, where you're presumably watching the weather radar in the Netherlands. Um, and, of course, we've also got your Twitter account, at BDJCricket, and your column with CrickBuzz. Anything else you want to plug for us? Uh, no, that's, um, that, that's about everything I'm, uh, that's about anything I'm ever any use for. Any cryptocurrency tips? Uh, none for today. Keeping those <laughs> close to my chest. Thanks, Nick. <laughs> but uh, thanks again for having me on. And yeah, I um, do keep an eye on my Twitter feed. I think I'll be throwing up some graphics and some some numbers on the stuff that we've been talking about today. But yeah, so thanks again for having me on. Always great. Thanks a lot, Bertus. On behalf of the team at Emerging Cricket, thanks for tuning in. And remember that you can, of course, subscribe in the usual audio apps for regular podcasts, keeping you up to date with news from all over the world of Emerging Cricket. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram for loads more great content. Bye for now.